0: Bethany was a village about two miles east of the temple in Jerusalem on the east slope of the Mount of Olives. It was the home of a family very dear to our Lord, a family of Mary and Martha, two sisters and their brother, Lazarus. This family was very dear to Jesus and he felt at home in their home and would resort there from time to time for fellowship. John's gospel tells us now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We know he did. The Bible tells us that he wept at Lazarus grave. They were obviously very close to the Lord. And here we are looking into, if you will, the kitchen window, the dining room window of a home. We're observing a very real episode in the life of this family. And I wonder as we consider the text before us, would our Lord feel at home in our homes? Would we welcome him in and make him feel at home as Abraham did when he visited him and as this family did? Would there be things we'd be ashamed of if he came and and stayed a while? Would our tone of voice and our way of speaking embarrass us or would it be hurtful to his ears? This family welcomed him in. They were not perfect, of course, and there is no perfect home, but he felt at home there and he welcomed, they welcomed him there. And John's account tells us they made him a supper and Martha served and Lazarus sat at the table with him and Mary sat at his feet. Now notice here in verse 2, a certain woman named Martha received him into her home. And so we wonder about the dynamics here. We don't want to read too much into it, but the Holy Spirit does tell us whose house it was. And so we ask the question, was she a widowed woman and her adult siblings were visiting or were they all brothers and sisters still living at home, their parents dead? But the Bible clearly tells us it was her house. Perhaps she felt it was her house. I don't know how many of you are big sisters who have, have had a big sister, but I think we all can, can um, know about that, don't we? This pecking order in the family and by, you know, just by my oldest sister was uh, 15 when I was born. She was like another mother to me and still to this day functions in that regard. Have you had your doctor's appointment? Have you done the You know, those things. And she does it out of love, I'm sure. But as a little boy, when I sat next to her in church and I acted up and she pinched me, I didn't think that was very much what was in her line of duty. But she took it seriously. And uh, so, but she seems to be, to me, don't you think that she's the oldest and that she's the kind of the leader of the pack? And she certainly exemplifies the the firstborn mindset, let us say, uh, we often see. Here we see a family dynamics, and all families have them, don't they? I don't care if there's just two or three or one, they're, they're dynamics. And uh, we, we see th- in, in a very real setting here the emotions and uh, conflict. The Holy Spirit, frankly, gives us a snapshot of what can happen in the daily round of our living for the Lord and with the Lord if we do not keep things in perspective, and by the precept that Bible the Bible gives us in Matthew six thirty three, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. I hope and wish that we could all take that, no matter what the Lord speaks to you, and what other verse you live by, and I'm sure all of us have those those goalposts or those gateposts that we hold on to, but that Matthew six thirty-three ought to be the blanket covering heading over all that we do to prioritize everything under that precept seek first the kingdom of god seek the spiritual before the physical the kingdom of god before anything else and everything else will find its proper place the lord promises that and we do well to obey it these two women were different had differences of opinions now there's nothing like having differences of opinions and they often uh, show themselves in a family sit- setting And when I'm sure I've always thought, as I've read this story, it's hot. I mean, they've just cooked a meal. There's no air conditioning. There had to be a fire. And so you can just see the emotions and the situation, the preparation. They're tired and the Lord is there. Both of them have valid points, but needed our Lord's word to set things in its proper setting. Back into a godly balance. Do you know this is the only thing that can do that for us? Every day we come into situations and who's right, what's right, there's only one thing. What does the word of God say about it? What is the precept? What is the guideline? And that's what we're duty-bound to find as the Lord's people in our homes and in the Lord's house here. I think this will be helpful to us today, don't you? Don't you, don't you feel a part of this family or, or want to know about how to live for the Lord? We've been considering on Sunday mornings a faith that our Lord commends. We've seen several different people in the Bible that the Lord bragged on their faith. To think that the Lord would marvel at one's faith, the centurion's faith. The Bible said he marveled at it. He was amazed at the centurion's faith. Well, here's a faith, a, a way of life that the Lord commends. And I think we ought to be interested in that. But I will say this. True faith always acts it isn't just mental assent. It isn't just biblical agreement or knowing doctrine. Theology or doctrine properly received and applied always applies itself in intangible, biblically compatible action. It's not just something we say we believe and say amen to and would sign our name to. But how does that affect how we live on, the, on Monday in the daily round of life and in our families? the most important setting to show our christianity and our love for the lord well here's the setting the lord is coming to dinner and anytime someone comes to dinner that puts a little strain on situations doesn't it you women probably know that more than you men folks do but that that is even though you want them there it is there's strain there's expectations self-imposed maybe not so much from the guests Guests probably don't care about all the things we care about. They don't know there's dust bunnies under the, you know, the table there. If they get down and look at that, that's their business. They shouldn't be looking there anyway. We get, you know, we worry about stuff like that. People don't care. Let's open our homes and be hospitable. And, and uh, it doesn't have to look like Southern living. Those don't look like that except when the photographer comes and takes pictures. They take off their socks too. They, don't, they, they have magazines and, and newspapers. And so, but here we are in a home. And I know we want to put our best foot forward and make, you know, people feel it at home and show our esteem and love for them. And I'm sure the disciples were there, too, don't you? I think at least it's not just the Lord, although the Holy Spirit is silent here, but he didn't travel alone. I doubt I, doubt, I think some of them, if not all of them are with him. And if they if the 12 of them are there, my goodness, this is that that makes the picture even a little bit more interesting, doesn't it? And so it was a bigger deal than just the family around the kitchen table. I'm sure she got out the best china and tried to, you know, spiff things up a little bit. I'm not sure, but this is, uh, this is the setting. Now, you ladies especially know what all this entails. Planning and cleaning and cooking and serving before and during and after the meal. Uh, it's a, a day's work and a half just to, to do something like that and putting things back into place. And if we're not careful, we will forget about why we had the meal to start with. The Lord is in the house today. Can I just say today, the Lord is here. The Lord is in his house. Let's not forget that. In all of our doing, in all of our, um, what all that will, is entails in, in a meeting like this, we came to hear from the Lord. Let's always remind ourselves, the Lord is here. Where two or three are gathered, what has he promised? There I am in the midst. He loves his word. He loves his people gathered. And so our Lord is with us by his promise. He said, I'll never leave thee for, nor forsake thee. I will build my church. I'm with you to the end of the age. And so this is the promise of every congregation of believers. Now, this is all very needful. It has to be done. The planning, the cooking, the cleaning, all of that. It, you know, the angels just don't come and set the table and do the shopping. There are human, there's a human element here. And everything that's done, there's always the work behind it. However... In our service, we can lose perspective. You can be worried and full of care and fretful over many things and lose sight of the most important thing. And living wisely is being able to discern in every situation what is the most necessary, what is and in emphasizing that and then letting everything else fall in its place and not miss the joy and the blessing of doing what it is that we're doing. I want us to divide our thinking today into two departments or two headings, of course. You might can do it several different ways, but this is the way I see it as we look at this scripture. I want us to look at first Martha's cumbered service. The scripture tells us, describes it in just that way. Martha's cumbered service. I think we can all identify with Martha. And then I want us to see, secondly, the second category, Mary's calculated choice. Martha's cumbered service In Mary's calculated choice, first of all, and I think we all may be able to sympathize with Martha's viewpoint and her cumbered service. Verse 40 tells us, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. Little red hen. She was trying to get it all done. And this stands in contrast to verse 39, which says Mary, her sister, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now folks, if you're worried about the roast at home or who's coming to lunch or whatever and miss the Lord and his word today, you've missed this wonderful golden opportunity of what it means to convene and gather as the Lord's people. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Those things can be settled. We all have problems. We all have due dates and deadlines and work situations, but let's just purpose as the Lord's people on the Lord's day. It is the Lord's day, isn't it? It's his. And to, to... sanctify it to him and to enjoy it and to simplify it and to make our expectations and others' expectations all come under the banner of this is the Lord's doing, this is the Lord's day, and this is how we live. Well, in the Greek, the word for cumbered has the connotation of to drag around and to distract, distractions. And I can see how Martha is distracted she loves the Lord. She's received Him not only as Lord and Savior, but as a friend and into her home. But she's dragging around with distraction and care and worry. Now Martha then was overoccupied and too busy and too distracted to sit at Jesus' feet, and she had good reason. These plates have got to be picked up. Somebody's got to clean up the kitchen. Somebody's got to cook the food and bring it out here. You know the mantra we've all we can hear it in our heads. And it did. That had to be done. And, but she was too distracted, though, to recognize at the time, obviously, Jesus was teaching some and speaking on some important matter because Mary was in rapt attention and others, no doubt, listening to what Jesus was expounding. And she sat at his feet and worshiped him, the Bible tells us. What a picture. I can see Martha, dish towel in hand, Soap suds on her elbow, sweat running down her brow, a uh, towel and a bowl in one hand, absolutely maxed out. We get there. We understand that. Perhaps it is before the meal she's trying to get it out there without being cold. So many things need to be done to get it out there. Or perhaps it is after the meal when, when this is just the, the pile of everything and the crumbs and the, the mess the sauce on the table needing to be wiped up. And they're all just sitting there enjoying themselves, for crying out loud. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean enjoying yourself at a time like this? I have to, as a pastor, I'm preaching. Can I just tell you this morning, this is sermons sermon for me. If you want to eavesdrop, you can, okay? Because we have expectations. We tell ourselves we want it the best for the Lord in every, everything that we do. And then there's so many variables, aren't there? There are things called people, (laughs) people who come to the event or don't come. You know, all those things, those not doing their part or so we think. And so we all can, I think, sympathize here. Charles Spurgeon said in his morning and evening devotional, he writes, Martha's fault was not that she served. I serve should be the motto of every Christian, of all the princes of the royal family of heaven. Nor was her fault that she had much serving. We cannot do too much for the Lord. Let us all do what we possibly can and let let, uh, uh, head and heart and hands be engaged in the master's service. It was no fault of hers that she was busy preparing a feast for the master. Food had to be, he was there for dinner. Food had to be prepared. Her fault was, what was her fault? Not that she worked, not that she worked hard, not that she had sweat on her brow and spaghetti sauce on her apron. That was not the fault. Her fault was that she grew cumbered distracted, missed the point, off base, snapping at her sister. If she's telling on her to the Lord, she's already said something to Mary, I believe. What do you mean sitting here like this? You can see clenched teeth, that big sister look on her face. Her fault was that she was cumbered. She was under the load of much serving. So she forgot him and only remembered the work. She allowed service to override communion. And so it prevented one duty stained with the blood, or presented one duty stained with the blood of the other, he writes. No, he says, we ought to be Martha and Mary in one, the ideal. We should do much service and have much communion at the same time. And for this, we need grace and wisdom it is easier to serve than it is to commune. It is easier to work than it is to worship. So here are the facts. An invitation has gone out. I don't think the Lord just dropped by. He may have, but I get the impression that this was an invited situation. There, the Lord has been invited in for a meal. They all agreed to that. They want him there. The meal had to be served and planned and prepared and cleaned up. We all know that. There are, those are the givens. It's not a neither nor, an either or. Food had to be served, work had to be exerted, and the Lord enjoyed all, in, all at the same time. And by the way, that can be done. When our work for the Lord becomes worship, it's a beautiful thing. When we see them as one and cannot dissect one from the other, all ground is holy ground to the child of God. Our lives become a living doxology when we get this right. Now, much of the Lord's work includes the physical doing, cleaning, preparing, expediting. All has, has to go in for a worship service like this. There's a million details that most never see or know about. Only the Lord knows, and in any activity for the Lord, whether it's vacation, Bible school, your Sunday school class, that, those children don't appreciate you cutting out all those little things every week. I marvel at these teachers. Our kids come home with these projects almost, beautiful things, and I think they have no clue what all that Sunday school teacher has gone into to prepare that. But you know that. That's part of it. Whatever the endeavor is, and for us to, to worship here in comfort and ease this morning. Only the Lord knows what goes into preparing for any event or effort. But he does know, doesn't he? He sees. He says a cup of water given in his name will not go unnoticed at the day of judgment. It will not go unrewarded. The work must go on. And if they're not workers, the work can't go on. Our staff here, we often smile when people ask, What do y'all do all during the week? <laughs> it's, it's humorous. Come, come join us sometimes. Stick around, we'll show you what, what we do. A church ought to be like a busy beehive or a battleship on patrol in action, not a cruise ship, but with every member doing their part happily and faithfully. And with the joy of the Lord and with a worshipful heart. Notice what our Lord did not say. He didn't scold Martha for her concern. He didn't say her her work was too much. He didn't say, Martha, this, you, did, you tried to do too much. If you just planned a little better. He didn't give her tips on Heloise from Heloise of how to have done a better job or from a Ladies' home journal. Is there even such thing anymore as a Ladies' home journal? My mother used to get that. You know, the magazines that tell you how to do what. He didn't give her a little lesson about what to do or that she'd work too hard. He didn't say, Martha, you're just working too hard. He enjoyed the results of her labor and he ate a lovely meal, I'm sure, in her home. However, he does cajole her for her attitude. That attitude, it just gets in the way, doesn't it? It is the key. It is the thing, the most thing that we have to deal with in our unsavedness, our old self. It shows itself most often in our attitude, which was on full display. Look in verse 40. Martha was cumbered about much service, serving and came to him. I can see her just huffing and puffing and said, Lord, does thou not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Y'all think I'm being too dramatic here? I think she was upset. She's hot. Bid her, tell her to come help me. That's some of our praying is like that sometimes. Lord, get so and so right and make them do what they're supposed to be doing. A lot of wives pray that prayer. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of husbands, I'm sure. I'm, I'm on thin ice here today. I can tell. You, awfully quiet in the Lord's house. Martha was cumbered about much service. Tell her to come and help me. She's maxed out with her Lord at the dining room table. What a picture. Be careful when you transfer your burden or your spiritual problem or your attitude over to someone with a face. That's what we do, don't we? It's not that Martha can't get it straightened out and can't make wise choices and just sit down herself and worship the Lord. She has to point her finger at her sister. This is so human This is us. Mary wasn't Martha's problem. I'm sure she'd helped her do some of it. Maybe not. I don't know. But Mary was not Martha's problem. Jesus being at her house was not her problem. Martha was Martha's problem. Circumstances and workloads will be our lot in life every day of our lives until we cross over the great divide. I don't know anybody who doesn't have problems or burdens or work. It may be varied. It may be different. It may be mental work. It may be however you want to describe it. But we all have our part in this life, in our family, in our church. Circumstances may vary, but we all have it. How we view that, though, is what makes all the difference. How we view our lot in life. How we view uh, these circumstances will make all the difference. Someone has said to miss the joy of doing what we're doing is to miss all. How we view them. Martha, you're full of care, Jesus said, in your trouble. Slow down, look, take note. Martha, look at yourself. You're turning a wonderful situation into a, a time filled with angst and harsh words. In wrong feelings. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, Let your moderation, that word moderation means your sweet reasonableness, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or full of care for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto the, the Lord. And the God of peace, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard, garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, that's Martha. We can see her with soap suds and, you know, grease on her face, on a smudge, smidge on her, on her face, and her hands on her hips, missing the whole thing and missing the blessing. She's got her thinking all jumbled up. She's got her priorities out of order. Her relationship with her Lord and her sister are strange. She's blaming the Lord even at this point. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. The least you could do is make her do what she ought to do. We pray that way. We think, Lord, if you could make him or make her do right. Oh, been out of shape. Don't you care, Lord? We may not have actually said that, but we certainly have thought that from time to time. Martha's cumbered service. Let's lay that aside. Enough with Martha. Let's look at Mary's calculated choice. Look at verse 42. One thing is needful. Oh, to be able to have the sense to find the one thing in everything. In all of our doings, in every part of every day, in every duty, in every relationship, in every circumstance, the one thing. What is the thing? Here he tells us one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. You see the Lord, the faith that God commends. We're seeing what he commends. She's chosen the good part. She knows when to sit down and worship, and she knows when to work. They both are necessary. Every one of us are duty-bound to do that, but when and where and how, to what extent, we need the, the Lord. She has chosen something, he tells, which will shall not be taken away from her. What you ever sacrifice to the Lord, what you ever spend for the Lord, whatever you give to him in, in worship and intangible money, service, can never be taken away from you. Thieves can't break through and steal it. Moths can't eat it up. Nobody can remove it. Jesus was at hand, Jesus was in the house. Can you imagine having him at the table? I kind of think someone said, Lord, tell us about this. Teach us about this. Whatever it was, Mary was in rapture. She was sitting at Jesus' feet, all just enraptured with what he was saying. Revelation 3, verse 30, it reminds me, our Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Most often people use that as a verse of salvation, but in its context, he's speaking to his church. He's speaking of fellowshipping with him, worshiping him when we worship, and acknowledging the Lord in all that we do. The, when I was a little boy in the church I was raised in, in the vestibule, they had that picture. It was a reproduction, I'm sure, but you've seen it with Jesus with the lantern at the door. And the door doesn't have an outside knob on it. It can only, the the painter has painted all these little signs. It can only be opened from the inside. And the picture is Jesus is standing at the door waiting for us to open the door. We can fellowship with him any time of the day. He's available for all of us and any of us whenever. Just open the door and say, Lord, come and sit down with me. And talk with me. And tell me. As I pour out my heart to you, answer me by your word what I need to know. May, we, may I recall from your word the principles I need to know. Lord, let's sit down in fellowship together. That's our duty and our privilege every day. This is an invitation to worship and fellowship. Guess what, church? The Lord is always ready for that. Jesus is here today. Are you ready? Maybe I should have asked this at the beginning of the service. Maybe I should have preached first and then we did all the other stuff. Maybe, you don't think we ought to reverse it sometime? Because I would have asked before we ever sang and had any other part of that, will you put everything down and listen with your heart? to his word. He, he speaks through his word. Now, this is a choice. These, both these women had a choice to make and did make a choice, as you have this morning. Well, you're saying, Lamb, I'm here. What do, you, what do you expect? What do you want? Worship is a choice. And God reminds us of this in, from the beginning of creation in the setting aside of one day in seven. God rested not because he was tired. He ceased from what he was doing to set a precedent, a pattern that would stand throughout all the ages. One day in every week is mine. We call it the Lord's day. A particular, decided, purposeful use of one day to acknowledge that he's the creator and the sustainer and the owner of all things. More is given. Have you noted about that command? Three verses are devoted to it. And all the rest have a verse or two. Such is the emphasis the Holy Spirit puts on it. For in six days the Lord did all of his work and rested and blessed his Sabbath and hallowed it and set it apart. Remember it, he says. Keep it holy. Keep it set apart. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. We gather on the first day, on the day of the new creation. The seventh is the end of the old creation. The first day is the beginning of the new creation commemorating our Lord's resurrection. On the first day, seek you first, the first of the week, the first day of the week, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In all of her doing, Mary got it. Now, Mary may have had a lot of faults. I think I've heard sermons that erroneously put her as a, a slacker, lazy. Why is it that people sitting at Jesus' feet worshiping are considered lazy? Just because Martha's doing, you know, twirls in the kitchen and fussing and fighting doesn't mean that Mary, Mary is lazy. Let me tell you, it's not lazy to worship the Lord. It takes effort. It takes intellectual application and listening if you're truly worshiping. And following and understanding and, and crowding out all the, the, the fiery darts and the things that are bothering us. It's warfare. It's an active engagement to worship. To not let your mind wander when you're praying. To stay on task. task. If we don't get this right. Nothing else will be in balance. Everything else will be out of whack in our lives. Remember this, child of God. Our worship precedes our work and accompanies our doings. Well, this we see. Our Lord commended Mary's faith, didn't he? A faith the Lord commends. She's, here she is in humility at the Lord's feet, listening, hanging on every word. Let us, like Mary, choose today and every day that good part, the best part, the first part, which shall not be taken away from us. Have you given him, first of all, yourself? All of this doesn't matter, has no place, if you've not first given yourself to him, unreservedly, as his own. Nothing sacrificed to the Lord is ever wasted or ever regretted in Jesus' name. Oh, precious Lord, we ask you tonight, this today, to speak to us through your word. What a simple thought. But Lord, we've all can understand Martha's cumbered work. Lord, every day we have that tendency. But may we be Martha and Mary. May we choose that good part which shall not be taken away. And, Lord, I especially pray by your Spirit that you would repair the hearts and open the hearts of those who may be in, in, in lostness. They've never truly repented of their sin and believed you as Lord and Savior. We bring them to you today. Oh, Lord, uh, may they call upon your name and turn to you in saving faith. Oh, open their eyes and show them just now what it means to be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.